0: Morning Orchard? Hey, take out your Bibles, your mobile devices, whichever you choose to use this morning. Turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter two, verse 41 is where we will begin in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't uh, worry. We're gonna put it on the screen as well so you can follow along. As you're finding your way in the scripture this morning, we're gonna continue our summer series called You Ask For It. But before we do that, I just wanna recognize um, what we did as a church and, and many that served last weekend was 4th, 4th of July weekend. A lot of you maybe were gone and out of town. But for those that were here, one of our values here at Orchard church is we want to be church contributors, not consumers. Instead of having church, we got to be the church in our community. And so we adopted Henderson Elementary School right here behind Prairie View High School. And we did a huge service project and a makeover uh, for that school. And uh, that school is one of the oldest schools in our district and community. I was reminded about, We, we pulled up to the school and there was a sign that said, Established 1968. And I said to my wife, I said, that's the year I was born. She goes, it's a really old school. I'm like, come on. But uh, we had over 200 people from Orchard Church that served and painted that entire because we just celebrate that uh, this morning. It was awesome. It was awesome, and I know many of you would have liked to be there, but you had plans with family and things. You're out of town. We'll be doing some other things like that, but it was just an awesome blessing to our community. Uh, One of the custodians that's worked at the school for 15 years, she was there kind of helping us open up, and she had tears just streaming down her face. She said, no one has ever done anything like this for our school, so isn't it great to be a blessing to our community, Orchard Church, in that way? It was awesome. It was awesome. Well, today we're continuing our summer series called You Ask For It. You guys submitted hundreds of questions and topics that you want to know what does the Bible say about these different questions and topics. Our number one value here at Orchard Church, Help Me Church, is what does the... Bible Say. So we're answering your questions and topics uh, based on the scriptures. We have uh, covered several different subjects so far this summer. If you've missed any of them, you've been out of town traveling, you can go to our website, orchardchurch.tv. Go to the message page. You can watch them live there. You can listen to them. You can follow the podcast. We've talked about why do bad things happen to good people. We've answered the question, can we really trust the Bible? Uh, we dealt with some family matters one week. Uh, last time we met, we talked about heaven and the afterlife, answered a lot of your questions about that. That. Today, we're going to talk about baptism and communion. What's the deal with baptism and communion? You guys ask us a lot of different questions about those two symbols of our faith. These are two symbols that the church has been recognizing and celebrating for 100 years, almost 2,000 years, and you had a lot of different questions about baptism and communion. So we're going to talk about those today, and then we're going to celebrate communion uh, together corporately as a church. So we're going to begin in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse forty one this morning, and this is the account of where the jesus has died he 's been buried he rose again, he was with his disciples he 's now ascended back to heaven. He told his disciples that i 'm going to send the Holy Spirit uh, to you guys, and you 're going to receive power and you 're going to be witnesses and so that 's what 's happening it 's the day of Pentecost, as we know the Bible tells us, and they shared the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There were thousands of people listening to this message that Peter was preaching, and many of them accepted Christ and in in this service, what happened is they became the first New Testament church and they started observing these two practices that we've been observing for 2,000 years now, baptism and communion. We read about them in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says, those who, what's the next word, church? Believe. Those who believe, your, your translation may say they gladly received the word, they accepted Christ, they believed what Peter said, and then what's the next thing? They were Baptized, So there's the first symbol we're going to talk about today. And added to the church that day, they became the first church, about 3,000 in all. I mean, we're celebrating that we're 10 years old at Orchard Church, and we've got like 1,700 people that attend on a regular basis on Sunday, 1,600, 1,700 people. They had 3,000 on the first Sunday. I mean, they were a mega church overnight. And so they believed, they accepted Christ, they got baptized. And then verse 42 says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching And to fellowshipping as a church and to sharing in meals, including what? The Lord's Supper and prayer. And so we refer to communion sometimes as the Lord's Supper. So you see these two symbols of our faith baptism and communion practiced 2,000 years ago by the very first church. Now, let me ask this question by a show of hands. How many of you, you grew up in church and you've, you've seen baptism communion most of your life? You grew up in church, okay, a lot of you. Okay, put them down. How many of you, you'd say, I'm a little bit newer to church. I was saved later in life, didn't grow up in church. Raise your hand, okay? Quite a few of you. Awesome, awesome. Well, you know, I was thinking about the, this week as I was going to be teaching on baptism and communion. I grew up in church myself. This is something I saw all happened my whole life and so you tend to take things like this for granted you just get used to it it's just what the church does and I thought what about the people that you know maybe your friends your family members you invite to come to church and they've never grown into church they've never seen a baptism they've never seen a communion service how weird that might be to them I mean, you know, you take somebody, you put them in a tank of water, and you hold them under. Some we hold under longer than others, the really bad ones. You you hold them under, and then you bring them up. I mean, they've got to be thinking, what is that? That is so strange and so weird. Who would ever allow somebody to do that? Or, you know, you walk in, and somebody gives you a little cup with some juice in it and a cracker on top. I mean, is this Costco or Sam's? And We're giving out samples today. I mean... We're used to that as believers and those that have been in church a long time. But for somebody that's new, that's a whole new thing. And we don't want to just assume that people know what this is about and they have a lot of questions about it. So we're going to be answering that today. I was reminded of this with my my daughter, Caitlin, when she was about four years old. And I was pastoring in Indiana, and I, we had baptized several people in our church that morning, and then after service, normally she comes running up to me, and she wants to be with Daddy, and wants me to hold her and carry her around, and I said, hey, Caitlin, and she snubbed me, and she gave me the stink eye, and she, she's like this, she didn't want to talk, and I was chasing her, I'm like, hey, what, what's wrong? I'm mad at you, Daddy. And I said, why? What did I do? That was mean what you did to those people, dunking them under the water. <laughs> you know, she didn't understand it. It seemed a little weird, so... Maybe you've got some questions about baptism and communion. Hopefully, we can answer today from the Scriptures. What's the deal with baptism and communion? Let's start with baptism. We're going to start with baptism. and I hope you'll take some notes uh, this morning about this subject and what the Bible says. Now, there's a lot of different ways that churches and religions practice baptism. Uh, most churches have some form of baptism. There's a lot of different ways. We're going to show you why we choose the way we choose the Orchard Church because we're following the scriptures. But here's one way I don't think God intended baptism to happen. I'm a little concerned right now about your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? Because I never got around to it, okay? I don't know why you always have to be judging me. Because I only believe in science. But tonight, we are going up against Satan's caveman. And I just thought it would be a good idea if you... (laughs) I love that movie. Uh, That is one way we don't baptize, okay? We don't find that in the scripture, but I thought we'd have some fun with that this morning. What does the Bible say about baptism? It's not that way. First, let's talk about the purpose of baptism. Why why do we do this? Uh, What is the purpose? What is this picturing? And uh, the Apostle Paul reminded us of this in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. He said, for we died and we were what, church? buried with Christ by baptism. Now, we know he's talking figuratively here because we were not literally buried, but when we accept Christ, we are dying to our old life, buried with Christ. And then he goes on and says, and just as Christ was raised from the dead, when we come up out of the water by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live what? new lives since we have been united with him in his death we also will be raised to life as he was and so the purpose of baptism it is a public display of our personal faith and trust in jesus christ we are identifying with the death burial and resurrection of christ that that is what saved us that is what forgave us that is what set us free that's how our chains were broken and we were set free amen And so when we're baptized, we're displaying that. Get it this way in your notes. A great way to say it is baptism is an outward display of an inward decision. It is an outward display of an inward decision. We sometimes say it this way, that when someone gets baptized, they're going public with their faith. Baptism doesn't save them, but it shows that they are saved and you're making it public. You're displaying that. I I like to call baptism the wedding ring of the Christian life. You know, I've been wearing this wedding ring for 23 years, and, and it shows that I'm married, that I made a commitment and entered a, a relationship with my wife, Shelley. This ring doesn't make me married, but I put it on as soon as I got married because it shows that I am married. That's what baptism is. God intended baptism to be the wedding ring of the Christian life, an outward display of our inward decision that we put our faith and trust in Christ, and we are identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection, and what he did to forgive us and save us. Let me say this last loud and clear. Baptism, the act of water baptism does not save anyone. It does not forgive anyone. It is a picture of that which does, which is Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's the purpose of baptism, an outward public display. What is the practice of baptism? How do we practice it? Well, churches practice it differently. Some churches sprinkle, uh, some chief Uh, Churches poor, some churches choose to immerse. We immerse here at Orchard Church. I'll tell you why, uh, biblically in just a moment. But I I was reminded uh, of a story that happened to me Uh, Several years ago, when I was first in ministry, I was a student pastor at a church in Missouri. And one of my responsibilities was to get the baptistry ready to baptize every week. And so I would fill it and, you know, make sure it was warm and all those kinds of things. And I got to be honest with you, if I could just keep it real, there have been many times as a pastor I've thought it would be a lot easier if we just sprinkled or poured. Because immersion takes work. You gotta fill something up. You know, we've baptized people, you know, in a feeding trough. We baptize people in hot tubs and outdoor pools because we we wanna immerse like they did in the Bible. But it's always a challenge. And so this one particular weekend, I was supposed to get the baptistry ready at our church. And so I usually go on a Saturday and I'd fill it up and I'd turn the heating pump on. And it was in the winter time. It was like January and it was below freezing outside. And we had two or three people getting baptized the next Sunday morning. And normally what I would do is I would go in sunday morning early and i would check the water to make sure it was nice and warm and then i would report to the pastor your baptismal is ready and so it was good to go well this particular weekend i got in early on saturday filled it up turned the pump on i was working really long and it was about 10 o'clock at night and i thought i'm just going to check the baptistry now i checked it it was warm everything was great little did i know that in the middle of the night the pump went out The heating pump. And it's in the winter. And I didn't check it the next Sunday morning because I checked it Saturday night. And the pastor asked me, Doug, is the baptismal ready? And I'm like, yep, good to go. I should have checked it again. So he didn't realize till he gets into the baptistry. Now, he's got waiters on, so it wasn't as bad. But he realized it was freezing cold at this point. And the people are standing there ready to be baptized. And so it's like, well, we're just going to have to go for it, you know, like Jordan River, whatever. And so they get in. The first guy gets in. He's like, oh, and he's, I mean, he's shaking and shivering. It was the fastest baptismal service I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was just in and out, in and out, in and out. Pastor gets done and he would always say, okay, let's stand to be dismissed in prayer. And he would always come to the front to the baptismal and he would pray, there would be a microphone. And he prayed and he said, in Jesus' name, amen. And this is the next thing he said, he goes, amen. And I need to see Doug Dameron in my office right now. True story. I had like a hundred of my students sitting with me. We always sat together in church and they all looked at me and go, ooh. So yeah, that, that's true True story. But why why do we baptize By immersion. Those of you who have been coming to Orchard any time, you know we we show the baptisms. They're always by immersion. Here's why. Because that's the way they did it in the Bible. It's a perfect picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The word baptism comes from the, the word baptizo that literally means to immerse or submerge. That's what the word means. It doesn't mean to pour. It doesn't mean to sprinkle. It means to immerse. And it pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no other practice found anywhere in the Bible other than baptism by immersion. You can go to the story of Jesus. How many of y'all remember? Remember when Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River in Matthew chapter three? Go read it, check it out later. It says that Jesus went down into the water. He came up out of the water. Uh, In Acts chapter eight, there was a man, Philip led an Ethiopian eunuch to Christ and it says they stopped the chariot and there was a body of water and they got down into the water and they came up out of the water. You see it all throughout the scripture over and over that baptism is by immersion because it's a perfect picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you say, what about somebody with like special needs? I had a pastor friend of mine, uh, they just had a gentleman that wanted to be baptized by immersion, but he had a a trach, and that can't get submerged, it can't get wet. So they put him in the water, you know, as far as they could, and then they put, you know, water over the top of his head. They got him in as best that they could, and and, because God knows our heart, amen? But what we do believe that biblically, immersion is the biblical practice the way they did it in the bible and we want to be biblical we want to be baptized and baptize people the way jesus was baptized by immersion so we talked about the purpose what about and the practice what about the participant who who can be baptized and again i'm reminded of a story when uh, my daughter caitlin was about five or six years old Uh, she was following a man around in our church and this was in in indiana and he was the one that got the baptistry ready and so he was filling it up and she was watching him and talking to him she she was uh, asking about it. he said well do you know what this is she goes yeah it's it's the baptismal and he goes well do you know what it's for and she said yeah and he goes well do you know who can be baptized she goes yeah i sure do and he goes well who she goes anybody with a swimsuit and i have one That's what she said. It's it's a little bit more of a prerequisite than just having a swimsuit. Let me take you back again to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. In the first church, it says, those who helped me, church, those who believed were baptized. Okay, that was a little weak, so let's try that again. Those who believed were baptized. The person who should participate. The prerequisite to baptism is that you believe. You see this over and over throughout scripture that people believe they made a faith decision in Jesus Christ and then baptism followed that belief and faith decision. Philip led a bunch of people in Samaria to Christ. It says they believed and then they were baptized. A man named Simon, it says he believed and he was baptized. There was a man named Crispus. He was, he says he believed and then he was baptized. A whole group of people in Corinth where a church was started, the church in Corinth, it says. They believed in Jesus, and then they were baptized. There was a Philippian jailer. It says he believed, and then he was baptized. 27 times in the New Testament, you find that somebody believed, and then they were baptized. So the prerequisite to baptism, the participant, is someone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning, I'm not going to encourage you to first be baptized. I'm going to encourage you to first accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Amen? That's what saves you. That's what forgives you. That's what washes away your sins. And then go public with your faith in baptism because it displays the inward decision and faith decision you have made in Jesus. Baptism does not save you; it shows that you are. The prerequisite is belief. Now, a lot of people ask this question: What about infant baptism? What about babies being baptized? We've had a lot of people in the last ten years of our church that you know they've come from backgrounds where their parents had them baptized as babies and infants, and you know, mom and dad was trying to set. You you on a faith journey and all that and, and that, and that's fine, but why don't we practice infant or baby baptism here at Orchard Church? And let me tell you, answer uh, that question. There's no record of any babies or infants being baptized anywhere in Scripture. You don't find that anywhere in the Bible. It's always people who believed and then they were baptized. Um, let's just think about this. Are, are babies and infants capable of making a faith decision in Jesus Christ? No. They, they, they can't believe or not believe, and so we wait until they're what we call the age of accountability. Usually, it's around six to eight years old. On average, it's different for every person, to where they understand what Jesus did for them, to where they can make their own personal faith decision to believe and then be baptized. You, if you check out church history, you'll find that infant baptism did not happen until 300 years after the New Testament church started in Acts chapter 2. It came along 300 years later because churches started. some of them started teaching that baptism is what saves you instead of faith in Christ. And so they said, well, if baptism is what saves, then we want to baptize our babies as quick as we can as infants and, and. They started doing it by immersion because they knew that was the biblical method, but some of the babies were choking and drowning, so they changed it to pouring and sprinkling. So you see, when you get off in the scriptures a little bit, then you start getting off in other ways in in the way you practice it. So that's why here at Orchard Church, we have a dedication service. When, When parents have children and babies, we dedicate them to the Lord, and really it's a dedication for the parents to say, we're gonna raise this child in a godly home, we're gonna live out Jesus, we're gonna have them in church, we're gonna teach them the Bible, so that when they're old, enough, they can make their own personal faith decision to believe in Jesus Christ, and then they can be baptized as a display. Amen? And that's what the the, the scriptures teach us. So sometimes people ask, well, when can my child be baptized? Well, when they believe. You know, when they've made that decision, they understand. We've started a whole class uh, for children here, a baptism class, making sure your children understand that they've put their faith and trust in Christ before they're baptized. If not, they're just getting wet. They're just going through the motions, and they don't know what it means. Now, some of you ask this question, what if I was baptized as a baby, as an infant, something my mom and dad did for me, but I want to be baptized as an adult? We would say, go for it. We've had hundreds of people in our church that were baptized as babies and infants, but later in life made their own personal faith decision to accept Christ, and then they got baptized. It was something they wanted to do, they chose to do as part of their faith journey. And we say it this way, you know, we want you to be able to be baptized the way Jesus was baptized. We want you to be able to be baptized the way they did it in the Bible. And it's a great, beautiful, glorious time and celebration. Uh, We've had people say, well, I was baptized even as an adult, but I'd like to be baptized again. I'd like to be baptized with my spouse. I'd like to be baptized with my kids. Uh, At the end of this service today, you're going to see an entire family get baptized together. Is there anything wrong with being baptized more than once? Help me with the answer to this. No, of course not. Because it's just an outward display. It's an outward symbol. It's kind of like renewing your wedding vows. You know, people have been married 10, 20 years, and they don't need to get married again, but they just renew their vows because it's simply an outward display. So I was baptized twice. I was baptized when I was eight years old after I accepted Christ, and then when I was a teenager, I started straying from the Lord. I had some questions, and I got back right with the Lord, and I said, you know what? I'm going to be baptized again. I understand it now. It's more meaningful to me, and so I was baptized again. We're taking 22 people to Israel from Orchard Church uh, this fall, and we're going to have an opportunity, they're going to have an opportunity to be baptized in the Jordan River, where Jesus was baptized, and so we did this about six years ago, and everybody in our group got baptized again. There's nothing wrong with continuing to display your faith in Jesus, Amen. We we want to praise God because in the last ten years, we we were kind of running the numbers recently. In the last ten years here at Orchard Church, we've had over a thousand people go public with their faith here at Orchard Church in ten years. Can we just celebrate (laughs) that right right now? Over a thousand people in ten years. The Average, I read an article recently. The average church in America baptizes seven people a year. Just seven a year. In 2015, last year, we had 135 people in one year go public with their faith in water baptism. We've had 96 this year already here at Orchard Church. Can we praise God for that? 96. Already this year. So we might baptize a couple hundred people this year that, that have put their faith and trust in Christ. They, they know they believe in Jesus and they say, I want people to know about it. I want to go public with my faith. You know, I don't understand why anyone would want to accept Christ but not get baptized and go public. Listen, Jesus went to the cross and he was crucified and he died and he bled publicly for us. I think we can get wet for him. Amen? And let people know. And it's such a celebration. And so maybe you're here today and you've you've put your faith in Christ. That's first. But you haven't been baptized. Maybe you got baptized a baby or an infant, but then you accepted Christ and you say, well, that was good enough. And you haven't had the opportunity to go public with your faith by your own decision. You know, I hope today will be a day you say, you know what? It's time. I'm not going to put this off any longer. I want to go public. I want to be baptized the way Jesus was. I want to be baptized the way they did it in the Bible. I want people to know that I'm a believer. I am not ashamed of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so right now, if that's you, and you know you need to be baptized, we baptize at the end of every month, last Sunday of the month. We're going to have our next one on July 31st. It's going to be an outdoor baptism. July 31st so if you've been like I'm not getting in that feeding trough you guys fill up with water you want to be baptized in a pool we've got a family that's opening up their pool it's about a couple of miles from here and we'll give you all the information but on your connection card right now just take it out give us your contact information check the box that says sign me up or I'm interested in baptism someone will contact you walk you through the steps answer your question and I hope we have many many people that go public with their faith at our next baptism in July amen And so that is what's the deal with baptism. That's the purpose, the practice and the participant. So now let's talk about communion, the Lord's Supper. What is the deal with communion? What is up with this little cup of juice uh, and this little cracker uh, that we partake in? First, let's talk again about the purpose. What is the purpose of communion? Well, it was instituted by Jesus himself at the Passover meal. This was not just any meal. It was the meal that the Jewish people had been celebrating for hundreds of years to remember that they were taken out of bondage of Egypt and set free the night of the Passover. And they were remembering that. And it was the night of Jesus' betrayal. I want you to turn to Luke chapter uh, 22, if you would. This is one of the accounts. This is Luke's gospel um, of this Passover meal where Jesus turned this into what we know today as communion or the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper, sometimes referred to in Luke chapter 22, verse 14. And it says, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table and Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this, what? Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. This was the Passover meal. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it, and then he said... Now, this is not the cup that he turned into communion. It's coming. There was actually several cups of wine in the Passover meal. Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it, and he broke it in pieces, and he gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my what, church? This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of who? Me. You've been remembering the Passover night for hundreds of years back in Egypt. But from now on, I want you to remember another night. The night I was betrayed and and, and that I was arrested and that I was falsely accused and that I was crucified. He says, remember me from now on when you have this meal. And after supper, it says, he took another cup of wine. Some of y'all are going to run with that one a little bit. He took another cup of wine. You know, Marcial, our Spanish pastor said, he goes, I, I think I'm going to start serving wine at our communion for Spanish service because I think it might double our attendance. And so I, you'll, you guys will have to talk to him about that. But he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my what? With my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And so he took the Passover meal that night and he turned it into what we know now as the Lord's Supper or communion. And he said, this is something you should do. This is something he instructed us and told us to do. This is not something the church just made up or some pastor made up that we said, oh, this would be good. This is something Jesus told us to do. Now, the, one of the most frequent, frequently asked questions we get here at Orchard Church about communion is, how often do we take communion or how often should we take communion? There are some churches that take communion every week. There are some churches that do it once a month. There's some that do it quarterly. There's some that do it once a year, just like they did the Passover meal. Here's what we need to understand. Jesus was not putting the emphasis on the frequency of communion. He was putting the emphasis on the purpose of communion. And the purpose of communion is when you do it, do it to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen? We get caught up sometimes so much in how often we do it that we miss the purpose and the meaning of why we do it. I don't think there's anything wrong with churches that do it every week or every month. I don't think there's churches that do it it once a year. But what we need to do is make sure we keep the meaning and the purpose in communion that we do it, Jesus said, to remember what he did for us, that he gave his body and blood for our sins. Now, Those of you that have been coming to Orchard for a while, you know this. We celebrate communion corporately as a church about three times a year. Um, we do it in the spring, a Palm Sunday, right before Easter, very appropriate time, that's during the Passover season. We try to do it once in the summer, like we're doing today, corporately as a church, and then we usually try to do it once in the fall, right before Thanksgiving week, because of all the things to be thankful for, the, the greatest thing to be thankful for is Jesus' sacrifice, amen, and what he did for us. And so we do it about three times a year for the last 10 years. And here's why. We want to keep it special. We want to keep it unique. We don't, want, we don't ever want communion to just be some you know, empty ritual that we do where we go through the motions, but we forget why we're doing it. And so if you do it too often, sometimes it can just become a routine. It can be an empty ritual and duty, and we don't want it to be that. We want it to be special. So we've chosen three times a year corporately to celebrate communion. However, having said that, preparing for this message this week, I've been praying about this, thinking about this. Our team, we talked about this, prayed about this. We realize that sometimes people, you know, when we do it corporately, if they're gone that Sunday, then they've got to wait a long time to have communion again. You know, and then there's some people that just say, I would like to have communion a little more often, and there's nothing wrong with that. So as of today, we have made a decision here at Orchard Church. We're going to continue to corporately have our communion three times a year in the spring, the summer, and the fall. But we are also going to provide communion for those that would like to do it more often. It will be at the two tables, host tables, beginning next week. So if you miss communion or you say, you know, I just feel like I want to take communion today, you can pick it up as you come in. There'll be instructions given right there by it as we're going to be looking at. You could take it during our worship service, during our time of invitation. And so if you would like to take communion, it's there provided for you. You have that opportunity, and then we'll do it corporately three times a year. Fair enough, church? Amen? So we're going to give you that opportunity to to do that. Yeah, we could celebrate that. But here's what I want you to know. Whenever you do it, whether it's corporately or individually with us, do it for the right reason. Do it in remembrance of what Christ did for us. We're recognizing that Jesus' sacrifice was and is the only acceptable means of salvation. It's not communion that saves us. It's what Jesus did for us. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of this in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never what? Take away sins. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Good for how long, church? all time, and then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Jesus made the once and for all sacrifice when he died on the cross, gave his body and blood for our sins, and the Bible says he sat down. You know why I believe he sat down? Because the job was done. He said, it is finished. It is complete. So the purpose of communion is a symbol of that which forgives us the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Communion itself does not save us. It does not forgive us. It is a symbol of that which does. So how do we practice communion? According to the scriptures. Paul gave us some instructions in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and he said this. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. This is why you should what, church? You should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking of the cup. That's why we always give you an opportunity to pray do a self-examination, if there's any unconfessed sin, anything in your heart and your life you need to make right with the Lord, that you do that before you partake of communion. We'll give you an opportunity to do that today. I'd also encourage you to do that if you choose to take it individually, moving forward, you know, as we provide that uh, as you come in. But we prepare ourselves. And then we practice two symbols, the bread, and then there's the, the cup. Okay, what do these symbols, what do these elements represent? Let me tell you what they don't represent first. Because there's some unbiblical teaching out there that teaches that the bread and the cup, the the wine or juice, literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus. That it supernaturally turns into that or contains that. We do not believe that that's what Jesus intended. We do not believe that that is what the scripture teaches. We believe these are pictures and they're symbols. Just like baptism is a picture and a symbol, communion is a picture and symbol. So what do they symbolize? What do they represent? Well, the bread. Jesus said in verse 19, this is my what, church? This is my body, which is broken for you. And so we use a type of bread. It's unleavened bread because in the Bible, leaven was a picture and type of sin. We use unleavened bread because it's a picture of our sinless Savior. Um, In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For God made Christ who, what? Never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So the bread, the unleavened bread is a perfect picture and symbol of our sinless Savior. It represents his body that was crucified for us then the cup he said in verse 20 the cup he said this is the cup Uh, It is a picture of my what my blood the blood the bible says without the shedding of blood there's no payment for sins jesus paid for our sins he set us free through the shedding of his blood the writer uh, paul in ephesians one said he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with what church with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins so we practice communion as the symbols of the bread, the body of Christ, the cup, the blood of Christ that pays for our sins, that set us free, that redeems us, that adopts us into God's family. That's why we use these elements. That's what Jesus instructed us to do. So finally, who should be the participant? Who should partake of communion? Um, these are symbols of, of our faith. So we believe, the Bible clearly teaches that it is believers that should partake in communion, just like it's believers that should be baptized. Again, let me take you back to Acts chapter 2. It says, all the what, church? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing of meals, including what? The Lord's Supper or communion. And so I think taking communion when you're not a believer in Jesus Christ would be like going out and buying a wedding ring and putting it on and saying you're married, but you never got married. It It doesn't mean anything. Now, people ask this question: well, what about my kids? What about children? When should they partake in communion? Well, according to the scripture, we believe that they should partake in communion once they what? Believe, once they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So believe and be baptized, believe and partake in communion. Now listen, we don't police this, we don't go around saying, okay, you can and you can't. We tell you and teach you what the Bible says, and then you're responsible um, for what you do with that. And so parents, we, we leave that up to you. And so as we get ready right now to prepare for communion corporately as a church, as we remember the body and blood of Jesus that paid for our sins, and we celebrate this beautiful symbol of our faith. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I wouldn't encourage you to, to be baptized and I wouldn't encourage you to take communion. I would encourage you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, if you're here today and you've not accepted Christ, we respectfully ask that you not partake in communion. Or, why not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ right now and then partake in communion, your first communion with us as a church. Would that be okay, your Church, if someone did that today? Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you gave us these two beautiful pictures and symbols to remind us of what you did for us. How our chains were broken, how we were set free, how our sins were washed away. Not because we get baptized or not because we partake of the cup or the bread, but because it reminds us of what you did for us. And that when we put our faith and trust in you, We are redeemed, we are saved, we are adopted, we are set free, we are forgiven. And I pray if there's anyone here today that's not made that decision, they make that decision today so that communion would have true meaning in their life. As we continue in prayer right now, Paul clearly instructed us before we partake in communion to examine ourselves. And so right now I just want to encourage you, if there's anything in your life you need to make right with the Lord, prepare your heart right now before we we taking communion. Remember the Bible says as we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Maybe there's some of you here today and you say, you know what? I know I need to be baptized. I know I put my faith in Christ, but I've never went public with my faith. I've never made that decision for myself. And I really feel like God is dealing with me about that. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you would take that step, that you would, you would take that Step of obedience to be baptized the way Jesus wants you to be baptized and to go public with your faith. So I don't want to embarrass anybody, but right now with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you'd say, you know what, I'm praying about being baptized. I know I need to be baptized. Can I pray for you? Would you slip up your hand right now? Say yes. Pray for me. I know I need to be baptized. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, man. Several people. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. I'm gonna pray for you right now, Father. I pray that those that have put their faith in you would take the step today, that they would sign up on the connection card, that they would commit to believers' baptism, to go public with their faith so we can all celebrate together that they know you, that they put their faith and trust in you, that they would put on that wedding ring of the Christian life, that they would say, I am not ashamed of my Lord and Jesus Savior Jesus Christ and what he did for me. And that we would celebrate together with our brothers and sisters in Christ and they would take that step. So we just continue in prayer right now. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, before you partake in communion, make that step so it has meaning if you if you say you know I've never received Jesus but I know I need to and you know who you are if God's speaking to you right now I want to give you an opportunity to make that faith decision to believe right now I want to lead you in a prayer of faith it's not a magic prayer or magic words but if you really mean it and it comes from your heart you can invite Jesus in your life today I'll help you with the words but it's got to come from your heart if that's you today would you say yes to Jesus by praying this prayer right now it goes like this Jesus I do believe in you. I believe you died for me. You gave your body. You shed your blood to forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I'm saying yes to you today. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want to know you. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you for your grace, mercy, and love. Thank you. Heads bowed, eyes closed right now for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time, I'd love the privilege and honor to pray for you that you would grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus from this day forward. So can I pray for you? Would you slip up your hand right now? You say yes. I said yes to Jesus. I prayed that prayer. I meant it. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith. I I meant it. I invited Jesus into my life today. Anyone else? God bless you. Thank you, a couple of people. Father, thank you for those putting their faith and trust in you today. We all, as believers in Jesus Christ, we prepare for communion right now. We remember the sacrifice that you made for us to set us free. We can never thank you enough, God, for loving us enough to die for us to give your body and shed your blood for our sins, that we could have a relationship with you, that we could have our sins forgiven, that we could know you and walk with you, and that we could spend eternity with you someday forever. So today, as we partake of communion, we remember your love, grace, and your sacrifice, and we say thank you. We say thank you. This time, if you would take out your elements and prepare first with the bread that's on top of the cup, get that ready. We'll partake of communion together. Bible says on the night when he was betrayed the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it and then he broke it into pieces and he said this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and we remember his sacrifice Bible also says in the same way he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. We remember the sacrifice of his blood. And all God's people said? Amen. 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 Can we celebrate his sacrifice and decisions for the Lord this morning? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, if you made a decision for Jesus, you raised your hand and say you accepted Christ, please let us know about that on your connection card so we can continue to pray for you, follow up with you, drop that in the offering bucket. If you're a first-time guest today at Orchard Church, thanks so much for being our guest. Hopefully fill out that guest connection card. You can drop it in the offering bucket when it goes by. We're not interested in your money today, first-time guest, but we are definitely interested in getting to know you. We'll send you a thank-you note, a free gift in the mail. So let us know you're here today. Uh, I'd love the privilege to meet you. If you are a guest today or new to Orchard Church, I haven't met you personally. I'd love to do so. I'll be hanging out in the courtyard by the White Tent. So please come by and introduce yourself. Also, please take an opportunity today to, to stop by after service, the White Tent, and uh, tell the Durbans how much you love them and appreciate them. They'll be heading out to Ohio this week. So be sure and stop by and let them know that. Um, next week, we're going to continue our series, You ask For It. You guys ask a lot of controversial questions. And so we're going to Deal with some of those next week. We're going to deal with controversial subjects like alcohol, marijuana, homosexuality, transgender, tattoos. Uh, we may even get into some eternal security and dinosaurs. So, all your controversy, you asked for it. So, next week, come and we're going to address some of those and what the Bible says about those subjects. And it will be very interesting and probably a lot of fun as well. Uh, right now, we're going to worship the Lord through our tithes and through our offerings. Um, we are able to do things like what we did in Henderson Elementary. We paid for all of that because of the faithfulness and generosity uh, of this church. So thank you for your tithes and offerings. We're also going to check out what else is going on around here at Orchard Church. And we're going to watch our most recent baptisms and celebrate that. So don't go anywhere and check this out.